And we are recording. And this is episode number nine of this very special Brand Lodge series. Here today with uh, Brother Dolson. Thank you so much for being here. It's my pleasure, Cameron. I've been looking forward to this. We uh, all recovered back from uh, speaking purgatory, back from a... Uh, yeah, from a little bit of laryngitis. I don't know where it comes from, but still a deep. I am glad that you are feeling better and glad that you could join us. Uh, I've gone through these beginning caveats uh, eight times. This will be the ninth, so I'll go through it quickly. Uh, all opinions expressed are my own. They don't reflect Grand Lodge or Windsor Masonic Temple. Uh, this is not meant as a endorsement of any particular candidate, but rather a chance to give every candidate the chance to speak. If you are a candidate for Grand Lodge and for whatever reason, I haven't managed to find you or get in touch with you, my email's on the bottom of the screen. Um, get in touch and I had a pretty quick turnaround for um, getting these, these up. Uh, this, as of right now, this episode will be the last in the series of these candidate ones. Um, I am still waiting though to schedule a few more. So, so far we've had one every day since basically last Sunday. Um, there will be a little, little bit of a break now until the next one, but I do have some more I'm working on scheduling. And once those are ready, I'll post the links on Facebook, social media, all that good jazz. And with that, Brother Dolson, thank you again for being here. It's my pleasure. This is a, a good opportunity for brethren to get to know the candidates. If we were, if we were uh, live and in person, we'd be going to meetings and meeting people pretty much every night of the week. And we do that on Zoom, but this is a nice way to reach out to more brethren at a time and to have an idea of uh, who you're looking at for voting. So that reaching out, you know, you've been, been kind enough to join us uh, in my one of my lodges, my affiliate lodge, Harmony Lodge, right? You you took part in a Zoom meeting with us. Um, and I know you've been around the district at other, uh, well, I guess, go-to meetings, I should say. What, what have you found, how have you found the, in Ontario especially, the Masonic um, response to moving more and more into the virtual world? I think there's been an absolutely good pickup on that. Uh, some lodges jumped right on the bandwagon um, a year ago, shortly after we were put in lockdown, um, and others have taken more time to get to get going. But for the lodges that have uh, embraced the virtual technology and the meetings, it's been fabulous. I mean, where else can you go and meet brethren from literally around the world and have speakers of the highest caliber come to your lodge here in Southern Ontario and get some high class education for the brethren. And I mean, masonry is about education in a big, in a big way. I think it's been wonderful. You know, you, you bring up education. Um, you know, one thing I've been, been trying to do with this podcast, uh, and we touched on this a little bit offline, you know, is, bringing in speakers and introducing topics that may seem to, that, that come from, you know, outside of Freemasonry, 
but yet have a connection to and can help to inform our understanding of the craft, such as, um, you know, Professor Andrea um, from NeuroAU and, and her discussions on the effects of architecture and angles and geometry on our neurology and, and kind of our, our emotional and uh, selves. Uh, I guess, are you seeing, you know, when we talk about education and, and an increase in that, just the, you know, what are your thoughts on, on bringing in ideas and, and speakers and guests from outside of the craft and using them to help kind of uh, create a fuller Masonic experience? You know, I don't, I don't have a problem with it, uh, but we have to be careful um, how broad we make our spectrum of education. Uh, because some brethren uh, might be quite interested in, you know, Jewish Kabbalah and the Tree of Life and uh, the NeuroAU that we talked about just before we came online, a professor from Brazil who you did a podcast with, and they're a bit on the fringes. But I don't, I don't see a problem with doing that. I've, I have gone. To, I'm a bit of a. I must have been a bit, a bit of an internet junkie. I've gone to. Uh, more than one Zoom meeting since since last uh, April, and the the range of education has gone from uh, what we would call simple discussions on a working tool to complex esoteric discussions on fringe topics. Uh, so it, it it runs the gamut, and the great thing about about uh, Zoom or GoToMeeting or whatever the platform is, if you log in and it doesn't quite turn your crank that evening, then you you don't have to hang around. Or you can hang around because most of the Zooms have a little bit of sociability. So it's it's a it's a great smorgasbord of education from my point of view. So you are um, you know you you are here as part of the Grand Lodge 2021 candidates series. Uh, so uh, you know that is a very good place to to kind of start early, talk to us about, you know, the position for which you're running, uh, why you are, why you chose to accept the nomination, um, and just kind of your your thoughts as we move closer and closer, first to voter registration and then to the vote itself. So I've allowed my name to stand for the office of Grand Treasurer. Um, I made um, a conscious decision a number of years ago that I was, I was uh, from a Grand Lodge point of view, I was prepared to serve. I wasn't necessarily going to go chasing after uh, Grand Lodge office. And um, I was thinking about it earlier this morning. I forget exactly when it was, maybe three or four years ago, when it uh, became uh, commonplace knowledge that Right Worshipful Brother Hogaboom was going to run for deputy grand master. Uh, I received some encouragement from some of my brethren to think about running for grand treasurer to replace him should he be successful in his pursuit of deputy grand master. So I let that kind of percolate around in my mind. I talked to my wife about it and talked about the commitment that might have that that might follow from it, and uh, I said. Uh, to these encouraging brethren. I said, yeah, I, I'm prepared to, if, if I'm being asked to serve, I'm prepared to 
step forward in that light. I have some strong credentials and background from my business uh, experience um, that is completely applicable to Grand Lodge, so to Grand Treasurer. So the first thing I did is I actually picked up the phone and I called our now Deputy Grand Master. And uh, I asked him in this particular year if he was going to run for Grand Treasurer again or whether he was just going to focus on Deputy Grand Master. And he said that he was going to run for Grand Treasurer again. I guess that would have been three years ago, maybe now. And I said, that's fine. I, I, have, I have no intention of running against you for Grand Treasurer, but I wanted you to know that I have an interest should you be successful in Deputy Grand Master. And I just wanted to find out if you were going to run this year. So that's kind of what led me to the to the decision. Uh, I feel comfortable with um, running for, for Grand Treasurer because of my business background primarily and uh, the time I spent at senior executive level in uh, multinational business. I, I may not be a, I may not be a CA, but but I'm completely conversant with uh, dealing with financial matters in you know multiples of the size of Grand Lodge, and and I'm particularly interested in in um, strategic and visionary management as it relates to finance. So looking forward and, and planning, uh, those are the kinds of things that I think sit well as credentials for my candidacy. As far as the the uh, scope of the upcoming election and Grand Lodge, I'm excited to, to see how this is going to turn out. I mean, there's been discussion about virtual elections in Ontario for Masons in Ontario for some time. Um, and, you know, sometimes necessity is, what do they say, necessity is the mother of invention. All of a sudden, boom, we can't get together, right? So we've got to do something. And it was too short a time a year ago to figure out exactly what to do. Uh, and our leadership took, in my view, the right decision to, to let things go another year. But they've spent a lot of time researching uh, the ability to meet virtually. And, you know, when we go to virtual elections this summer um, in June and July, the thing that excites me the most about it is that we are now giving an opportunity to every past master and every warden and every master in Ontario to have an opportunity to vote. In the past, it's just strictly been the people that the brethren that can make their way to Toronto uh, for the vote. And there are different reasons why brethren might or might not go to Toronto, uh, distance, cost, whatever. Uh, but, but we all as past masters now have an opportunity to vote. And, you know, I, I would like to see two to three times as many votes this year uh, as we would normally get at Grand Lodge. So uh, that's completely possible because now you and I get to sit in the comfort of our of our own home and uh, get registered and cast our ballot. Do you have any uh, anecdotal evidence regarding interest this year? Do you, you know, uh, Based on what you've been hearing, do you think that we're, we're going to, to see an increase in votes cast um, or people attending? Uh, I'm, I'm hoping so, but I've not heard anything one way or the other to indicate if interest is higher this year. I, I say that, though, these, these episodes, these podcast series, 
has done done well in terms of views. So maybe that's a, a sign that there is an increased interest or an increased. We'll see an increased uh, voter turnout. Yeah, there's there's. I mean, there there has been positive and negative feedback in the meetings that I that I've been at, but the the negative feedback doesn't doesn't extend itself to say I don't want to vote online. I want to vote in Royal York, right? Uh, and and the pickup is going to be contingent on how lodge secretaries communicate with lodge members over this past few months and the next couple of months, and make sure that all members of the lodge get the right information. Uh, I don't I don't see any reason why it shouldn't be a big pickup uh, because it, it's so easy. Uh, and you know you used to hear people say, well, I wish I could go to Toronto, but I can't for whatever reason, right? Um, now you can be one of the one of the considerations that they made at the Grand Lodge level, uh, according to uh, our Grand Secretary, who was, was in a meeting with him, um, who was hosting it by Zoom last week, and he said that one of the things they considered was the amount of time that they leave open for voting, and they left a couple of days open for voting, and the re one of the reasons why is because it's recognized that we have members in Ontario that travel for work and may not be in Ontario, may not be in North America when it's time to vote and they've wanted to leave the window wide open. So there's there's very little excuse to not vote this year. So I'm hoping that there's going to be good pickup on participation. The, you know, as somebody who is, and you discuss it, you know, familiar with, with large numbers and working with working in businesses where you have significant dollars and and, and all of that that type of you know financial uh, uh acumen um but also just as a mason as someone who is um you know has a a history in in the craft uh what are some of your thoughts on the never never-ending uh, debate surrounding um, dues and assessments and the cost of uh, the quote-unquote uh, cost, or at least financial cost, of a Masonic membership. Um, the debate every year, and I've, I've heard it since I joined, is uh, whether or not to increase dues and whether or not there will be an effect on membership for good or for ill. I guess, what are your thoughts on on that debate that will probably be with us for the next 100 years and the next 300 years for that matter? You know, Cameron, it likely will be, won't it? Um, there's, there's a couple of things that come to my mind. The first thing is that, that our lodges uh, should be operating on the dues they charge their members. Uh, and we have uh, lodges that do a lot of fundraising and we have lodges that own buildings with commercial tenants and uh, lodges, the lodge that I belong to here in Norwich owned a building downtown Norwich and we had commercial tenants and as long as the commercial tenants were there everything was was uh, well and rosy, right? Uh, there was lots of money coming in and I forget what St. John's used to charge ask for dues at the time but when we lost our commercial tenants then all of a sudden 
it was very difficult to make ends meet. So our lodge here in town made the decision to uh, amalgamate with two other lodges in Wilson District and now meet in Delhi as part of Three Great Lights Lodge. But when we ask brethren to pay their dues, uh, we have an obligation to give them something back in return, right? When you go to the grocery store and uh, you give them money, they give you the groceries, right? Well, if we go to lodge, if the lodge asks for $100 in dues, then we have to be able to give our members $100 worth. If we ask $300 a year in dues, then we have to be able to to give $300 worth of value. I mean, it's not, nobody sits with a scale and weighs it out, but um, it's important that we, that the product that we offer at the lodge level be valuable to our members. You know, we provide a serious opportunity for education and contemplation of the mind, right? And uh, I belong to uh, Temple Luchas in Stratford, one of the observant lodges in the district, and our dues are $300. And when we set, when we set the dues at $300, uh, we had people tell us there's no way people are going to come and, and pay $300 to belong to your lodge. Um, but it, in the grand scheme of things in Ontario, $300 is not expensive. Um, we have lodges in, in Toronto that, that charge $1,000 and, and people line up and pay that. So uh, it has a lot to do with the, with the environment that lodges establish, right? Um, and if a lodge is capable of meeting ends, making ends meet at $60 per member and somebody wants to put it up to 100, then yep, there's going to be a, a, an animated discussion about that one, isn't there? Um, if there's no big change. But if you're providing $300 worth of value, then, um, you know, we, we don't have a big membership at Temple Luchas, but we have people wanting to join. What is the Masonic product? You know, I, when I use that word, it, it kind of, it's amazing how the mind works, right? You can, you can multitask and things happen quickly. And when I, when I use the word Masonic product, I said, huh, I wonder what that means. Uh, it, it's what, it's what we offer to our members. And it's, it's the experience you get when you go to lodge. So I'll use, I'll use my lodge at Stratford as an example. Uh, when you come to visit at Temple of Muchas, you get uh, a formal sit-down uh, served dinner at a festive board with a full program of, of toasts and educational speaker and uh, full protocol. Then we go upstairs uh, to lodge and have the same lodge meeting that we would have in Windsor, but uh, my, my saying is it's, it's the same everywhere only different, right? And the lodge meeting in Stratford is different. The room is lit by candlelight. It's uh, very quiet. There's strict decorum about speaking only when the master allows you, has recognized you, right? Um, we have education in, in every meeting. Um, the work is expected to be done at a high level of proficiency um, with uh, no side prompting prompting only if necessary from a designated prompter. So it, the product is the experience, right? We have music 
in in our lodge in in Stratford, and I don't know if you've had an opportunity to to join Temple of Luchas at our speaker series once a month, but we have uh, made a connection with a brilliant young mason from um, Miami, Florida, Josker Porchke, who is a talented musician and has been playing piano music for us at our online meetings. And the feedback that that I've received from people who have, from brethren who have come to Temple of Luchis or maybe at, at Bath at Temple of Fidelis is, is that this is an experience that they're looking for. Uh, and it's, it's maybe more um, ripe for uh, discussion and uh, uh, mental gymnastics or, you know, stirring of the, of the mental faculties. You know, I, uh, I have to, I should probably take a moment to apologize uh, through you, perhaps to your, I can't think of the brother's name, a member. So this was a few years ago. Um, uh, I, I visited the Stratford Masonic Temple. Uh, and in the process of doing so, I set off the, uh, the alarm, <laughs> the building uh, twice. And I understand there's a brother who lives at the temple, like on the top floor, who I woke up twice. Um, so let me uh, take another moment to apologize. I got in like early in the morning as I was there for the Grand Master's uh, reception, uh, which was in like Mitchell, I think. But anyways, yeah. I was in for first. And so I got in whatever time it was because I took the train. And I went to the, the temple. And uh, it was like eight or something, but I saw a car. So I figured maybe somebody's there doing work, whatever. So I bang on the door. Anyways, I ended up setting off the alarm on uh, two occasions. I sat waiting for the police to show up, but trying to think what story I would give. So I didn't think some guy in a wheelchair is trying to break into the temple. But uh, it is a, a, that's my segue into saying, you know, the Stratford Masonic Temple is such a, just like Windsor, just like, Hamilton, you know, it's a really beautiful spot, a beautiful temple. Uh, and it's, it, like Windsor, you know, it has a connection to the community, right? It has a concert venue, it has these things. Um, I'm a big fan of our buildings and celebrating them as much as we celebrate the, the people. I think the buildings provide such a architectural and historical add so much to the character of a, of a city or a town. Talk a bit about the Stratford Masonic Temple. So, so the brother that you woke up is uh, very worshipful, very worshipful brother, Stephen Budge, who is a good friend of mine. And, and uh, I spend uh, a fair bit of time visiting with him and uh, helping him out with some of his, his chores around home, grocery shopping and so forth. But, there's, there's a part of the story of the Stratford Temple that, that you may not be aware of. It's no longer a Masonic building. Uh, and that's a, that's a difficult um, part of the story uh, for Masons from Stratford because um, the, down, the, the downstairs uh, banquet room was also a concert hall that you refer to, right? with a full stage and full complex 
modern sound equipment and lighting and uh, kind of um, the, the, the acts that came there were not the, uh, the first run acts of today, but the ones that could play to a house of 120 to 150 people, right? Uh, and I'd been to several concerts there. Uh, it's financially, the building was always kind of nip and tuck, trying to make ends meet. And the concert hall had a big part in um, making ends meet, right? Uh, profits from concerts. Unfortunately, concerts also sometimes have losses. If they ever hired, I don't know how well you sing, but if they ever hired you and I to, to be the, the lead act, they likely wouldn't make much money on us, right? Uh, so after the pandemic started last year, the board of directors of the Temple Corporation uh, made the decision to sell the building and the building was sold in July. And it's really sad because, because the history of of Masons in Stratford goes back decades. Uh, there, were, there are two lodges uh, that have been in Stratford for a long time, to, uh, Stratford Lodge and Tecumseh Lodge, and with Templum Luchus that made three, and there were concordant bodies, uh, all York Wright concordant bodies uh, that met there. And there was lots of history on the walls, right? I mean, that's, one of the great joys about big buildings like uh, Windsor, which is bigger than Stratford, and Stratford was a big building. Uh, lots of history on the walls, and to get there for a meeting the first time you go, you always want to try to get there early. I mean, I do that with whatever lodge room I, I go to, because I like, I like to find out what this history is, like who are the people on the walls, what are the artifacts on the walls. And uh, it was difficult for, um, in fact, I don't even know how difficult it is because we haven't met in person, but it was, it's been difficult for some members of the Stratford Masonic community to, to try to move on. And, and now, that, we're, looking, um, now sorry, we're looking for homes, you know. Does that connect back to, you know, that, that seems like a very good connection to what we talked about earlier, which is the, as you touched on, right, talked about the importance of uh, having dues at a, a level that sustains the, the craft and, and not relying on, uh, you know, not relying on commercial uh, tenants or outside events or whatever it is to, to make up the difference. Because as you pointed out, once a pandemic hits, once the dues are something that at least the launch can control, outside events, third parties, commercial interests, those are just things that really cannot be controlled. And so, uh, just like you talked about, right? It's, it's just a good example of the necessity of maintaining your dues. Yep, absolutely. And has there been any talk with the new owners of the building in terms of um, maintaining some of the, the Masonic, character of the property. I'm thinking of, for example, Oriental Lodge or Oriental Theater in Chicago, uh, which is in the loop. Uh, it was originally a Masonic temple, um, uh, built in the 1920s as they all were, uh, or many of them were. Uh, even though it's no longer owned by the Masons, it's now Oriental Theater. It's kind of one of those Chicago landmarks. They still maintain a lot of the Masonic 
you know, the scoring compasses are on the front facade and, and when people go in for a show, there's mention of the history of the building and of its beginning as a Masonic temple. So credit to both the, I, I would imagine it's the Grand Lodge of Illinois, but also the Oriental Theater for making sure to maintain and, and recognize the Masonic history of the building, even in, you know, 2021, 2020. And so, so uh, I'm not sure um, what the new owners of the building are going to to do with it, what their specific plans are. Um, of course, if if we hadn't been dealing with the pandemic, we likely would have already seen what they wanted wanted to do. Uh, it won't be used as a lodge building anymore. There's not an opportunity for the lodges to meet there anymore. Um, that was made clear. So all of the Masonic furniture and paraphernalia that that was movable has been moved and is currently in storage. But there are definite uh, Masonic touches to the building that will stay um, for however long. I mean, one of the most prominent that I enjoy seeing, I was in Stratford just on Thursday and, and drove by the lodge building. In 2014, there was a cornerstone laid um, for an addition that that the Temple Corporation put on to make the lower hall more useful for um, entertainment. And it's the square compass with 2014 right in the brickwork. And in behind is a, is a time box. And that cornerstone was uh, handcrafted by Brother Stephen Budge, the one that you woke up out of bed. Uh, and that history will be there likely forever. I mean, there's no, there's, whatever forever means, right? But there's no reason to take it out. Uh, people know the building as, as a Stratford Masonic concert hall, so. Yeah, and my, my, for whatever it's worth, not that I have any say in anything, but to the new owners um, uh, and also to the Masons, you know, in and around the Stratford area, um, you know, the, that history and that Masonic character it adds a great deal to a building, whatever its its current use is, right? It really does uh, bring bring something special to the building. So when you are passing by it, or if it's being used for something, it never hurts to mention that history. Like I said, you know, Oriental Theater in in Chicago, uh, it does it, and it's something that just adds a. a it's just another unique aspect to a building because it's one thing to go to a concert in a concert hall it's another thing to go to a concert in a building that has masonic roots it's just a way to and it, it adds to the history of the town as well right the stratford is is the better for its masons and its uh masonic temple absolutely absolutely and that brings up another point um so there's the Masonic product in the sense of what Freemasonry provides to its members. But what about the things that Freemasonry provides to its communities? Uh, that's been kind of a, a hobby horse I've been on lately. Um, you know, there's a lot of economic uh, and community benefits that a Masonic temple and a Masonic lodge in particular brings to its community even something as simple as, you know, the need for catering to meetings a month in normal times 
can be of great assistance to a local business, to a, a smaller restaurant, going out after lodges, doing events. Uh, I just, you know, there's there's what Freemason provides members, but can you talk a bit about what, in your opinion, a Masonic Lodge provides to its community? Well, from my experience, there's a variety of things that the Lodge provides to the community. I mean, there are simple things like like catering, right? Uh, if uh, the Lodge is meeting on a regular basis and is doing a festive board or having a, a light lunch afterwards, that has to come from somewhere. And there are catering caterers in, in every community. Uh, the lodges that I belong to tend to use local caterers uh, as much as possible. Uh, one of the things that that some of the lodges I belong to have been involved in is supporting the youth in the community and through um, scholarships and bursaries at the public school level and the high school level uh, and doing that doing that visibly in the sense that it's uh, when it was here in town it was St. John's Lodge number 104. Uh, presenting a bursary at the high school. Um, our lodges all participate in um, the fabric of the community. One of the ways they do is by participating in cenotaph services on uh, Remembrance Day every year. Uh, I've The cenotaph here in Norwich, where I live, is just a block and a half, two blocks from our house. And uh, my wife and I would go down and attend the services and some years I've been asked to place the wreath on, the, on behalf of, of the Masons. And I think something that we do for, for the communities where our lodges are situated is we, we help to elevate the, the, um, the moral and intellectual status of the community by uh, the way we act together as brethren, right? We, we get together, you know, the, this has been... It's been well over overworked, but you know masonry makes good men better. Well, if you make if you make men better, um, and they live in the community, then your community will benefit from that. Uh, it's uh, it's a matter of making good role models for for young men in the community. Um, it, it kind of it kind of makes the community shine. Any lodge that I belong to has been a bit of a shine in the community. So I, uh, I'm a very, I'm a very stupid person. So you'll, for this next question, you'll have to, you'll have to use small words. If you know anything about this, this is just something. And, and as someone who's been involved in, we're running for grand treasurer, been involved in finances and, and businesses. Um, this is something I've been trying to research, but I'm not smart enough to figure it all out yet. Uh, you know, cryptocurrency, or more particularly, um, is there, this is, like I said, a brand new area for me, you know, it, is there areas for things like Freemasons paying dues in Bitcoin? Is it ever possible for, for Freemasons or Grand Lodges to look at like an ICO? Or I did find one website but i'm not smart enough to know if it's legit or not where there's like a masonic ico out there but i don't know if it's i don't i know very little about this stuff it just seems like every other day i hear something with cryptocurrency popping up i'm just curious about what 
if any connection there there is or could be between Freemason and cryptocurrency, even something as simple as you know setting it up so that Jews can be paid by a cryptocurrency instead of uh, quote unquote conventional dollars. I mean, I know several brethren uh, in Windsor who who discuss and and invest in cryptocurrency. It just seems like something that is growing or at least the hype around it is growing, but I don't know enough to know how legitimate any of that stuff is. Well, I have to admit uh, that uh, I know very little about cryptocurrency. All right, well then you and did I, I are- just, Did I just go away? So, no, no, I got you. Hang on a second. It'll come back. There, am I back now? I got you, yeah, you never left, you yeah. never left. Okay. Well. It, the sound disappeared from my screen. Uh, I don't. I don't have a lot of experience. I don't have, have any experience with cryptocurrency, uh, so I would be way out of my league um, to offer an opinion about whether or not it could be used as a as a payment vector vector in masonry. Um, one of the reasons why I don't know much about cryptocurrency is because it was never used in our business world. I never had an interest in it. It has always seemed to me to be out on the edge and uh, far too volatile for me to be um, particularly interested in. The only time you hear about cryptocurrency is when somebody points out that if you had invested $1,000 in cryptocurrency four years ago, you'd have, I don't know what the multiple is, but $400,000 today. But tomorrow you might be back to your thousand dollars. So, so uh, that's about my knowledge of cryptocurrency. You've got it all, Cameron. Now you're smarter. It's uh, well, and I guess we're both in the same boat on that. It's not. It's not something I know much about, but it has become something just because you hear so much about it and and the volatility and even the fact that it is out on the edge. That does. It's it's interesting to think about because. You know, it, it's that classic um, the struggle between uh, being, you know, cautious versus taking risks. And in Freemasonry, this applies as well. Like, you know, at what point does a, a Grand Lodge um, decide to you know, take a risk in the hopes of a great reward versus do you do you play it cautious? Um, you know, do you uh, free free? Do, I think it's not actually the case. It's one thing that's said a lot. You know, Freemasons are afraid of change, which I don't necessarily think is true. Freemasons have embraced change in many ways. This podcast being an example of such, but I do sometimes wonder if. if whether it be at the Grand Lodge level or the, the Lodge level, we can be a bit too cautious uh, at times. A, again, classic example, going back to the start of this conversation is uh, dues, right? Being so uh, scared of, being so cautious about raising dues because we're concerned that we're gonna risk losing members that you know, dues never get raised to a sufficient level. And cryptocurrency just seems like potentially another example of something that, while risky, could yield rewards, potentially. And I say potentially as, again, somebody who knows very little about it. It's just something uh, I've grown interested in. So the, 
So the interest at, at the Grand Lodge, I have no idea whether or not this has been a conversation at the Grand Lodge level or not, but I would offer to you that that um, today the, um, the risk quotient uh, acceptable at Grand Lodge is likely far too low to accept something as volatile as cryptocurrency. Um, because what we're talking about is part of the management of the of the uh, resources of Grand Lodge or of an individual lodge of Harmony Lodge, let's say, or my, my lodge here at home, Three Great Lights, uh, lodges are not prepared to take, to enter into risk, um, high risk situations that might gain financially, but might also lose. Because I mean, every time you have a financial transaction where somebody gains is the opposite side of the transaction where somebody has likely lost, right? Um, I know lodges that that own um, stocks and bonds uh, as part of their investment portfolio, lodges that have money, but there's also lodges that have money that would never go and even buy uh, stocks in the big banks in, in Canada. So it it has to it, it, you have to you have to melt the ice first and, and get people prepared to to risk finances. And our Grand Lodge has has a, a nice little um, nest egg of finances, but it, but it's not something that is big enough that sets us off for life, right? So we don't want to uh, be making financial decisions that could cost us that comfort. More in a general sense, leaving aside cryptocurrency or even finances, but, but more in a, in a general sense, what do you think could be an appropriate way to think about the risk quotient for Freemasonry in, in terms of whether it be you know planning events, trying something new, trying something different. Um, it could be in the financial sense, it, it could be raising dues, it could be an event that's never been done before, never been tried before. Um, I guess when, when Freemasons are considering, you know, adapting and improvising and, and changing based on whatever the circumstances are, or trying something new, you know, what suggestions would you have for that that lodge and that Mason if he wants to to engage in in some type of risk? He sometimes has a negative connotation, but some type of of challenge uh, for himself or for his lodge. Yeah, well, all new activities have got multiple possible outcomes, right? And the, the outcomes could be very positive or very negative. And when you're looking at uh, taking on new initiatives, you just have to weigh those to the best of your ability. And when you start weighing them, you look at other people who have done something similar and what has been um, the response for them or, uh, or ideas that may be new in a marketplace uh, in in Norwich here, uh, what is the reception of the local community here for new initiatives? And then you can get some kind of an idea whether there is actually an upside or a downside. Masonichip is a program in Ontario that was started under uh, the watch of most worshipful brother Alan Petrosar um, back in, uh, he was a grandmaster between 07 and 09. And that wasn't here in Ontario, right? That was a new project 
that had some costs involved uh, that uh, he wanted to champion and had planned for it. And that's ended up being a, you know, a home run, right? There's, there's Masonic chip programs being held around the province. Uh, and I'm not personally aware of the process that they went through to evaluate that program. Um, but they would have put some effort into evaluating it to see, is there a, a need for it? And if we bring it, what is the uh, uh, possible take up going to be from it? And how successful will it be? That program is a is a program that costs the lodges uh, to put on, but some lodges end up with sponsors, right? Because it's it's um, it's a great value to the community. Um, so it's I don't like he I like you I don't like hearing people say that uh, that masons can't change. It's um, it's it's pretty sure that masons don't change very quickly, right? Um, the, the Masonic Grand Lodge of Canada in the province of Ontario, I don't think would be considered in its totality an innovator in its marketplace, right? Uh, but the Grand Lodge does uh, step out uh, with programs like Masonic Chip uh, over the time, friend to friend, brother to brother. Uh, the Masonic Foundation of Ontario has been innovative in the way it's approached um, fundraising and supporting um, medical uh, initiatives. Um, the learning centers, learning center in, in your lodge building in, in Windsor is uh, an innovation that came to the community. And when you ask, you know, what value is there for the community to have bases in the community? Well, in, in the community of Windsor, there's great value for kids uh, with dyslexia, dyslexia problems being able to come to the Masonic Hall in Windsor and go through the Masonic Learning Center. And these are all programs that were weighed at some point, right? And as long as the as long as the positives outweigh the negatives, then I think we should be prepared to move forward on some of these things. Certainly we don't move very fast. And we talked earlier about electronic voting and I'm I'm quite excited to watch the electronic voting and see what kind of information we can gain from it. But it's it's likely was not going to come this quickly if it hadn't been for the pandemic, right? So if if we get pushed, we can do things, absolutely. <laughs> but to be an innovator is a little bit more difficult. Is it like, maybe it's the old, very old, you know, uh, Augustus Caesar quote, right? Christina Lent, make haste slowly. Um, yeah. That old, uh, that saying I'm, I'm fond of. You know, as... So we, we are, you know, getting closer and closer to the voter registration and then the voting for Grand Lodge. Um, you know, we've already touched on the convenience of the voting process this year. You don't have to go to Grand Lodge, you don't have to travel. You don't even have to wear pants, uh, which is always a plus for anything in my opinion. Uh, but what about the, you know, I have touched on this with other guests, other Grand Lodge candidates, the, just the, the, the importance of taking part in these things, both in the sense of being informed and, and voting, because, you know, you can do 
you can technically do one without the other, right? There, there are brethren who are informed, but for whatever reason, don't vote versus brethren who vote, but you've, we've all seen it at Grand Lodge, you know, it's clear that they're voting um, just randomly or whatever it is, like they're not necessarily voting uh, in an informed way. So as we move forward, just the importance, what is the importance in your opinion of both taking the time to inform oneself and then taking the time to vote? So I don't think we can underplay this at all. It's important for Masons to exercise their franchise and to find candidates to vote for. There's been opportunities for Brethren in Ontario to get to know the candidates. Uh, there's this platform here. Uh, the Grand Lodge Education Committee had um, a couple of meet the candidate evenings that were highly successful in, in our world. Uh, the Hamilton Past Masters and Masters Association had a, a similar meet the candidates um, Saturday morning at their annual meeting. Uh, if you want to know about the candidates, you can go to the Grand Lodge website and um, go on, on log into the members area and go under the recent tab and you'll find all of the Masonic uh, information sheets on the various candidates that are running for Grand Lodge. So, so there's there shouldn't be um, very many excuses uh, for brethren to say they don't haven't had an opportunity to find out about these brethren that are running. Uh, the other thing you could do is you can contact them. I mean, people can contact me. People can contact other candidates and have conversations. But it's important that it's important that we get involved in the process of electing our leadership, in the sense that. Uh, we need people at the Grand Lodge level that are skilled to take on the management of Grand Lodge. Um, Grand Lodge is, is uh, you know, trying to be a progressive organization by moving through this pandemic and, and getting into the electronic age. We need people that can, that can lead that. We need people that can lead the various initiatives that are providing support for lodges. <clears throat> And uh, there are, we have Masons in Ontario that, that have the skills to do all these things. We have Masons in Ontario who are, who are um, experts in their, in their business world at, uh, at websites and uh, computer support, right? And we need, to, we need to have those people helping at our Grand Lodge level. So it seems to me that we need to be... Um, we need to be able to provide more information from, from Grand Lodge to our membership about our daily operations. And we're getting that through the communiques that come out. Um, but the membership need to be taking on their responsibility and their responsibility is to get to know the candidates and to vote accordingly. And for those brethren who are not yet able to vote, um, especially, you know, really new members who maybe aren't even, don't even have an understanding fully of what terms like Grand Lodge and communication and Grand Treasurer and aren't even necessarily sure exactly what they, they mean. 
how important is it for both a lodge to take the time to speak to these newer members about these terms and these things? And how important is it for these newer members to kind of pay attention uh, to the Grand Lodge, to the candidates and the eventual winners? And uh, even though they can't vote yet, to take the time to acquaint themselves and learn about what these things are uh, uh, and what they all mean and what the process is? I, I think it's super important. Um, in my world, I've always been somebody who's been interested in the environment around me and uh, how things work at the level that I'm at and at the level uh, levels around me. Um, there's a, there's a uh, lodges are supposed to take the, the proceedings from Grand Lodge and read a portion of the proceedings at every meeting. Now, you can likely think about the lodges that you visit and how many of them actually do that. But one of the benefits of being able to do that would be for the younger members to learn about, get a glimpse into Grand Lodge. I know um, when our kids were growing up here at home, our kids, we have two girls and a boy, and our, our kids were always interested in the world around them and what was happening from a political point of view in our small community and beyond our small community. We would have conversations at home before they were old enough to vote. So it's a bit of a two-way street. We had to provide that information and they had to have a thirst for more knowledge. But it seems to me that part of making good men better, part of, of taking applicants and moving them down the road in terms of their life skill learning, is learning about our total organization and about what happens at the bigger picture. Not everybody's going to be interested in it. Not everybody's going to want to serve uh, the fraternity at a higher level. But um, becoming master of your lodge is is serving, right? Working through the chairs of of your lodge is serving in this in the same way, just at a different level than um, elected office at Grand Lodge. I think we need to encourage it, and I think we need to have more participation. I agree. Uh, you know, more more participation in any level at, at any level of Freemasonry can only be a benefit to to the craft. And with that, uh, I think that is a good place to uh, to leave it. You did mention though uh, that brethren can contact you if they want. So throw out your contact info, should any brethren want to talk to you more about, I suppose your candidacy in particular, but I'm sure you'd, you'd also be willing to discuss Freemasonry uh, in general, because you certainly have a, a wealth of knowledge you could provide uh, newer and uh, more experienced Masons. Absolutely, thank you. Yeah, the easiest way to get hold of me is to send me an email. And my email is simple. Uh, my name is Neil Dolson, and my my email is neil at dolson.ca. And I can't make it magically appear on the bottom of the screen. Maybe I can. I'll see what but I maybe, can do. But, but maybe you can do that for me. Yeah, neil sure at dolson.ca. Yeah, I can throw it in the, uh, in the description of the video as well. So if you head down to the description, you'll see it there too. Perfect. Thank you. Um. You know, uh, I'm getting better at this, uh, remembering to tell people. 
If you enjoy the podcast, there's a like button, there's a subscribe button, you can leave a comment. Um, you can support the, the podcast on Patreon if you want to send any money my way. You can send me Bitcoin if you want. I don't know how it works or how I could access it, but send me a link and I'll see what I can do. Um, and yeah, once again, uh, I thank you for your time and for you know all of your service to the craft. Uh, and as with all the candidates, I wish you the best of luck uh, this coming July. Thank you so much. It's always a treat to spend some time with you. Cameron, I've always enjoyed your company. Thank you so much. All right, brethren, till next time.